In this episode of Novell Open Audio, we get a chance to look at one of the Hack Week projects in depth, as well as get an overview of the Moonlight Project with Miguel, next on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. And I'm David Bear. And David, today we're going to talk a little bit about one of the cool Hack Week projects that happened. Yes, we are. We're, we actually had uh, Calvin Gaysford and Scott Reeves and Scott Reeves in to talk about Giver. We chatted about it during our Hack Week episode, but that was that cool application that lets you very easily share files with people on your local segment. So uh, let's go ahead and roll that interview. In the studio, we have Calvin Gaysford and Scott Reeves. They're software engineers at Novell. I think they prefer to be known as desktop hackers. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi. Thanks. Good to be here. Now, Calvin, we've actually had you on before, I believe. You used to work on iFolder, right? Yeah, I was on about two years ago, I think. we It was one of the first open audio interviews that happened i think way back when we had a little tiny studio now you're in this great big huge studio oh yeah these plus chairs this is really nice yeah and kelvin what do you actually develop during the day dave just mentioned you're a desktop hacker but what types of things so i work on the linux desktop particularly on OpenSUSE and on sled novell's uh, enterprise desktop Uh, particularly right now i'm working on collaboration, which includes, you know, your typical text chat, like you'd use game or something like that. But we're trying to build one that also includes audio and video, and we're building on top of a technology called telepathy. So the project that we're working on, I'm working on right now, is called Banter, and it's uh, it'll be part of the desktop here. In fact, we're it'll be in uh, OpenSUSE 10.3. Oh, well, it sounds like you just gave us information for another interview we're going to record then. <laughs> cool. And if anyone, anyone listening was using telepathy, they would already know these yes. uh, answers. Scott, do you work on the same things? Yeah, well, um, I'm on the same team. I'm on the desktop team. Uh, I broke into the on the desktop basically in Sled 10 um, working on the GNOME main menu. The new oh, the Slab uh, thing? Yeah. Oh, yes. excellent. Yes, I was one of the co-authors of that. wrote like the application browser and the control center, that kind of thing. Then I uh, moved on to did some work work with the a la carte system menu editor so that you can edit system menus and user menus and, and that kind of stuff. And then I've, for the last couple months, I've actually been kind of working on our thin client initiative, trying to get our sled desktop to run on, on some thin client boxes is what I've been doing. We're trying to get that done and, and announced here shortly and stuff. So it's kind of it's, it's cool. Very cool. Now, both of you guys actually were part of Hack Week a couple weeks ago, correct? That's yes. correct. And what did you guys think about it? Well, actually, first, I want to actually hear the thought process. What went through your mind from the time that you first heard about Hack Week till it actually kicked up and, and was going? So it was, it was it was quite interesting. Um, you know, as an engineer, you always have all these little projects, you know, that you think, man... If I just had some time to, to mess with that, it'd be totally cool. But then, you know, your manager says, hey, 
when, when are you going to have this done? And when are you going to have that done? And you're like, oh, crap. And you, so there's all these things on the side burner. And the other thing is, is you, you know, there, there's people that you'd like to work with and things you'd like to do, but you never have time because you got your... And so it was it was a totally... It was a great idea, I thought. And so coming up to it, you know, they started posting all these ideas out there and, and you know, what you could work. And so that coming up to it, you know, I, I heard Calvin's idea of the giver thing and I started pondering and I was like, hey, that would be cool because that's one thing that it's kind of funny because it's something that's like so obvious that but until Calvin like laid it out there you're like you always just thought it's too hard or you know and then when he laid it out I'm like yeah that would be sweet let's hear about that Calvin lay it out there for us Giver so when Hack Week first came up for me Giver was an obvious choice for me it's actually something I've been thinking about doing since the iFolder days when I was working on iFolder and we had peer-to-peer solution that was using MDNS to do uh, local discovery and whatnot so you could share iFolders without having a server uh, one of the ideas that, that we always tossed around was the ability to just shoot files over to someone else and not really keep, keep them in sync you know I just want to basically give these files to another person. And so I played a lot with uh, the MDNS stack, and at the time I was also developing the Mac client for iFolder, and I actually wrote a prototype of Giver on the Mac that would just kind of discover and it would show the other machines. It never actually did a whole lot, but I was just kind of playing with it. And then uh, we kind of changed our focus on iFolder, and Giver was something I always wanted to do and finish, but I just never really had the time, and it wasn't really open source when I was doing it. It was just something I was messing around with. So then Hack Week came up, and I thought, you know, I have a week to do some project, and I want to have a project that I can start at the beginning of the week, and at the end of the week it'll be done and be usable by anyone. I can have it packaged, and you can download it and actually use it. So Giver was an obvious choice for me. I mean, it, I didn't even – actually, I considered one other project, which was just a picture-taking because I'm working with multimedia stuff in banter, I thought, well, let's do something that can quickly capture photos and maybe manipulate them. Kind of like the uh, there's a photo album thing on the Mac that you see where you can take your picture and manipulate it. So it was going to be something fun like that because I thought that's something else I can do in a week. But then someone came out with a project called Cheese, I think, that already does that. It was actually the morning of Hack Week that the guy announced the project, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do Giver. <laughs> so that's that's how I, I got on to doing Giver for Hack Week. And how many people jumped in to help you on the project? Well, Scott jumped in initially, and we worked on it for about three or four of the first days without any help. And then I guess Thursday night was the night we stayed all night, and, and Boyd Timothy was there working on Tomboy, for his Hack Week project, and so was Sandy. I forget his last name. Sandy's another hacker on Tomboy. We stayed there all night, and about halfway through the night, I got Giver going to the point where it would really work well, and everyone got excited, and then those guys started implementing things in Tomboy to include uh, functionality in Giver. And Friday morning, everything was kind of working, and we showed it to everybody, and then I think... I don't know, uh, about three more people jumped onto the project Friday and just started cleaning things up and polishing it to get it done. Cool. Now, let's step back for a minute and just talk about exactly what Giver is and why you came up with the idea. Okay. Giver is a simple program that you run on your desktop as a user, and it just allows you to send files from your machine to another machine without having an account over on the other machine or knowing passwords or having to set up specific protocols. You just basically run this application. It'll go out and discover all the other machines that are running Giver and allow you to 
drag a file onto the machine. It actually shows up as the person logged in on the other machine. You drop it on that machine, and on the other machine, the person's notified that, hey, you know, Calvin wants to send you a file. Do you want to accept it? And you say yes, and it simply transfers the file. It's, that's it. There's no authentication. Yeah, yeah that, that's the key point is there's – you don't have to – I mean, how many times you go – you're sitting around, you, you're talking with somebody, and, and you're like, hey, send me that. And you're like, okay, what's your email address? And you're like, BJZ at – now, is that is BJZ or BJP? Yeah. You know, you know, this thing, you're just – it pops up. You you get on the network. Boom. You pop up in the list. You get off. Boom. You're gone. And you just you know there's no configuration. You just say give me that. Drop. 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 It's, it's easy, hard it's, to it's believe. Easy, hand him a piece of paper. It's amazing to think that there's nothing like that already. Yeah, and you know that's the response I get from a lot of people is, I remember we were at uh, Guadic just two weeks ago, and Nat Friedman was there and was kind of looking at it, and that was exactly his comment. It's hard to believe that of all the desktop operating systems, and it's not just you know Linux, no other operating system has the ability to just simply drop a file to give to someone. Why is that? And you know, he, he says it seems like it should have been there from the very beginning of any time a network was brought up. So, But that was our uh, one thing Scott said that kind of was our motto, I guess, as we went, was we wanted sending a file to somebody in a meeting to be as easy as handing them a printout. So, cool. you know, you take printouts and you can just hand it to them. You don't have to know anything about them. You can just hand it to them. That was kind of the underlying motto we wanted to follow. The final death of the sneaker net. Yeah. Yes. Can we talk about discovery for a minute? You mentioned some protocols that I'm not familiar with that you use to actually discover other giver clients out there. What protocol was that? It's MDNS. There's actually an open source implementation of it called Avahi, and it allows you to go out and do dynamic DNS discovery. So you can go out and advertise a service out in this. You, you know, you just, it's a multicast type of thing that you send out a packet and other people are listening for that. Other services are listening for it and you can discover it. It's probably used most heavily on the Mac architecture, although it's becoming quite popular now on Linux and I've seen it a little bit in Windows. But a lot of printers use that, so you bring a printer home and plug it in if it's a network printer, and suddenly it just shows up on your network and you can print to it. That's all using the same protocol to Is that to similar it. to Rendezvous, or is that like the open source version of Rendezvous? Yeah, well, Rendezvous is the Apple's branded version of that. Oh, okay. Now, I, now I'm familiar with it then. So it is, it's the exact same technology. Oh, very cool. Where do you start with something like this? You're there on the Monday morning. You have the idea... What's task one? Well, task one for me was really getting the discovery up and going. So being able to just advertise and see the other machines. So we wrote a simple UI and then just advertised anything. You know, it was in this case, I think it was the username just so that I could run it on two machines and see that there's another user running Giver on the network. And from there, it kind of branched out. What tools did you use? It's all done in Mono. So it's a pure Mono app. We didn't have to bring in any other libraries or anything. Mono actually had the full stack, except for the Avahi. We did use a, an Avahi Sharp library that we had to bring in. And, uh, well, that's not true, I guess. We also brought in a couple of other libraries, but they were all Mono libraries. So we didn't have to write any shims or, or wrappers on top of anything. It was all provided. Mono being opensource.net? That's right. We developed this using Mono Develop, which is actually the first time I'd used it, which is another cool thing about HackWeek is you get a goof around with, you know, projects that you're not directly involved with. And so, yeah, and the Mono Develop actually worked really well. 
as far as you know all the the cool developer features you want, the code completion and the pulling in, all that other kind of stuff, and it was it, it worked well. And that's an IDE, yes, integrated development environment. That's right. Language C sharp, yeah, everyone's favorite. <laughs> That's right. How about protocols? We talked about discovery, but once I actually go to send that file from my machine to you, Calvin, what protocol does that go over? At the beginning of the week when I first started writing it, I was just using pure sockets. I just opened a oh, socket okay. and started writing my own protocol you know, through a socket, and it, it started to get really ugly. And I think it was Brady Anderson who was there hacking next to me suggested, why don't you just do it all over HTTP? And I thought... Well, I'm not that familiar. I mean, I've used HTTP, but I've never written a full-blown client that used it for my own protocol, although it was used quite heavily in iFolder. I just wasn't involved in that component of it. And quickly discovered that HTTP and the, the libraries that are, you know, the classes and whatnot that are provided in Mono and .NET are just fabulous. I mean, it went from being this incredibly difficult thing to try and write my protocol and whatnot to within a matter of hours I had stuff transferring back and forth using so it it all goes over HTTP. So I've got a question about portability. Since you wrote it on Mono and Mono's cross platform, I mean we've got Mono for Mac, we've got it for Linux, we've got it for Windows. Is Giver automatically cross platform? Uh, it's not automatically because Mono is cross platform to a certain level. When you get into UI there are some limitations. And when we wrote the Giver UI, we wrote it using GTK Sharp, okay. which people will claim out there that, yes, this is completely portable, but when you port it over to your Mac, it's going to run in an X11 screen, and you got to bring down half of the world to get it to run. So that's not my idea of portable. Probably a better way to describe the portability is uh, it's just written using HTTP, we don't have the protocol well documented out there, but it's it's a very small protocol, so it would be trivial to, to get working on these other platforms. Okay. So one quick question on the discovery. Does it go beyond your local segment, or how far does the discovery of other Giver clients go? So today, the Avahi implementation is only for the local subnet that you're on. Okay. So you'll only be able to see that. They are working in the Avahi project. I've seen them work on... Um, I think it's I, – I can't remember the name that it's called, but there is a way to, to carry over the uh, MDNS broadcast to other subnets. And it's not quite part of the Avahi project, okay. but they're, they're adding that. So eventually you'll be able to actually see them across multiple subnets and, and configure that based on how your Avahi configuration is set up. Cool. So the key is it works fine going through switches and bridges and all that. It's just once you hit a router – that is usually where the traffic stopped. That's right. Cool. Now, this is a Hack Week project. You got to the Friday, the end of Hack Week. It dies there, or is it going somewhere? You know, it's checked in. It's open source, so anybody can download it and play with it. And actually, at the start of Guadic, the day before, they were messing around with it in the apartment. And found a couple, you know, just some people that were trying to, like, Nat and stuff, found some, some issues transferring large files because they were saying, you know, give me this movie and give me that thing, you know. And so... And that, you know, they fixed some bugs and checked it in, so that's kind of cool. There are some obvious, you know, it's the things that need to be addressed if you wanted to roll this in. Like if we wanted to put it in the 10.3 or, or roll for it, you know, it's a, it's a Hack Week project. It doesn't have any type of, you know, I could obviously go in, customize my name to be, you know, uh, you know, so that I'd show up on the network as Ron Osepium and, and, and send you a file saying you're fired, right? You know, or some, yeah. some nasty things like that. You know, there's obviously little things that, that would that I think 
maybe next hack week, you know, we could we, we could throw this on or that on. But in the meantime, it's it's there and available. People can try it and, and throw in little patches and stuff. And where is the project hosted? There's a wiki page that actually talks about it. You can go to live.gnome.org slash giver, and it's a wiki, so givers with a capital G. And that'll actually give you links to find the source code, to find it downloads. You can go to the OpenSUSE build service if you're running uh, OpenSUSE 10.3, which I guess there's only alphas of that. But there are packages out there that you can actually hook up to a repository and just install it right on your 10.3 desktop. Cool. I should say that when Scott mentioned uh, someone saying, Giver me that movie, no copyright material was harmed in the making of Giver. Those were personal movies that we had made on our own. Yes, exactly. Home videos. Yeah, mainly videos from Hack Week that were being shared back and forth. Absolutely. So since this is open source and the code's out there, really anybody who wants to can jump in and help out. I'm sure there's lots of things that need to be done. We can do minor tweaks to the UI. I'm, (laughs) I'm sure the documentation's not totally complete, is it? Documentation? Exactly. (laughs) So I'm sure there's plenty of places where people who are interested in this project can go out, they can download the code, they can play with it, modify it, help it out, and make it a better application. We'd love that. And we'll provide links along with the podcast. Please go ahead and check it out. All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot for, one, writing the code, and, two, for swinging by the studio and talking to us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to Calvin and Scott. So while I was out of town, you guys got a chance to talk to Miguel about one of his new projects, right? That's right. Darren Davis joined me and Randy, and we spoke to Miguel about Moonlight, the Mono Project's version of Microsoft's Flashlight Silverlight. <laughs> That's quite the tongue twister. So hang on, we got to back up for a minute. So Microsoft's Silverlight, it's like a flash type application allows you to do rich media type things through web browser? I think it's Microsoft's intent to compete in the same arena as Flash. Is that cross-platform or what does it run on today? Do you know? Runs on Mac and Windows. Okay, and then I assume what Moonlight does is bring that to Linux as well? Gives us the same functionality in Linux. Excellent. Well, let's hear what Miguel has to say about that. Today on the phone, we welcome Miguel de Casa, Novell's Vice President of Developer Platform. Welcome, Miguel. Uh, hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Today, uh, we're going to attack the subject of Moonlight. Miguel, what can you tell us about it? What is Moonlight? No, I like uh, that we're going to be attacking it. Moonlight is uh, our implementation of Microsoft Silverlight's platform for doing rich web applications. And basically, the idea here is, is that you can improve the user experience of your existing websites and your existing web applications by creating kind of rich content that typically contains things like animated graphics and, and video and audio and things like that. It is very similar in spirit to Flash. It just happens to be the Microsoft way of, of doing Flash. And uh, one of the things that kind of got us very excited about the technology was that instead of using ActionScript to kind of provide the actions or the client-side logic, you can use any of the .NET supported languages for programming this thing. And you get a full just-in-time compiler, so you get all the performance that you can get from it. It kind of struck a chord with us because it was uh, something very much aligned with what we're doing in the Mono project, which is a re-implementation of the .NET framework for Linux. 
so we started working on that thing, and today we have an, a prototype of the implementation, and we're hoping to have something by the end of the summer that can be considered alpha quality. And let's be clear on that, we're talking about an implementation of Silverlight, we're not talking about an emulation or a reworking. Yeah, it's a from scratch implementation. We basically do everything they do. And I think that right now we run about 10 of the 50 kind of popular applications that are out there. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but we're kind of on the right track doing that. And speaking of a lot of work, I understand that you've been really busy on this. So the story is, we were very excited about Silverlight, and, uh, and a journalist asked us at the, at the announcement. So what happened was, we knew about Silverlight. It was an interesting technology, but really it didn't have any relationship with Mono at all, the, what they call Silverlight 1.0, right? It's kind of Microsoft Flash, right? And the way you scripted this thing, uh, the way that you made it do interesting stuff was by having the browser's JavaScript actually control the surface. So all that Silverlight 1.0 was was this uh, canvas, right, this rectangle in your screen that you could control from the browser, right, from your JavaScript. Okay. So it wasn't really something that had anything to do with Mono. And it was interesting, and we thought that it was important for Linux to have an implementation of Silverlight, but we were not really the team to do it, right? It wasn't really our thing. It was something that it was probably better done by people in the desktop team. So we basically ignored it until this year when they came up with an updated version of Silverlight. And that updated version of Silverlight was completely exposed to this .NET thing, and it kind of immediately became relevant to us. So, um, so that's kind of, kind of how we got uh, started with Silverlight. So when Microsoft announced Silverlight, and currently I believe they support Mac and they support obviously Windows, there's been mutterings that they themselves are going to support Linux. Do you see that in the future for Silverlight, and is that going to affect you know, Moonlight in any way? Well, if they do support it, then we don't have to do that work anymore. So what happened at the conference is that there were no announcements about Linux. And a little bit of the message was, we're going to go with user demand. And we consider cell phones to probably be more important as a platform. I mean, mobile devices to be more important as devices than Linux is. So we felt that, that there were no concrete announcements regarding when a version for Linux would exist. And uh, having run through the 90s where Linux was not able to access some content when people were using, you know, ActiveX or some other technologies that were not really supported by Linux, you know, it's always been a little bit of a struggle for Linux, um, accessing Word documents, accessing Excel documents, accessing Microsoft networks and so on. And for many years we've basically been working to be compatible with those things. From a personal standpoint, I didn't want Linux users to not have access to that Silverlight content. So from the announcements that they made at the time, it didn't seem like they had immediate plans for Linux. It doesn't mean that they won't do it. And uh, Do you see them partnering, maybe you know, working with the Mono group to actually do their implementation? I don't know that they will do the implementation with us. What happens in this particular space is they have to make decisions based on market share. What typically happens is, and you can look at Flash for an example of this, where Flash is supported in 32-bit Linux, but there's really there's not support yet for 64-bit Linux. And, of course, there's no support for PowerPC. There's no support for other architectures that Linux runs on. So it has a lot of reach. It just doesn't have universal reach. 
or for like embedded devices and things like that. I mean, even if Microsoft did support Silverlight on Linux, the question is whether they will support all of the variants of Linux um, in there. So that was, that was kind of where we're coming from. So an open source implementation of Silverlight, which we felt was uh, very valuable regardless of um, what Microsoft plans were towards Linux. And today it doesn't seem like it's very high up in the priority list. What's the implementation technology? Is it mono.net? It's a combination of things. We're using the Cairo library on Linux right now to do the rendering. Uh, we're using FFmpeg, but we will support uh, GStreamer as well for doing the media. Uh, the plugin that interacts with the browser is written in C++, and the virtual machine, of course, is Mono. So every time you load up a web page with Silverlight, you're actually loading the Mono virtual machine to do all the orchestration of the functionality. I mean, that being said, we would like to work with Microsoft. I think we would like to do a couple of things. We would like Silverlight to become a standard, right, so that there's uh, opportunities for more implementations to get all of the important concepts specified, you know. So my personal wish is that Microsoft would submit Silverlight to a standards organization like ECMA or whatever uh, they think is an appropriate venue for that. It would be interesting to actually provide some early feedback on what we think are features that need to be implemented or things that we would like to see in uh, Silverlight as a rich internet application platform. There's been some criticism that the standards bodies that Microsoft uses are a sham. It's not real standardization. What's your comment on that as someone that's using those standards to implement Mono? I'm actually not up to date on what the claims are against which organizations. The only one that I've been involved with in the past is ECMA. And um, what what is important to understand is that ECMA, the ECMA job is to standardize existing practice. There are different kinds of organizations, and there are different ways you can uh, create a standard. One of them is you get together in a room and we say, well, we want to create a specification for getting some tasks done. And then you have a bunch of people that are experts in the field, and, and they write up a standard, and they say, well, this is going to work. And you have all these meetings where you kind of try to iron out the design, right? That's one possible approach. Sometimes you create a spec and you have no implementations, and it turns out that there's some significant problems in the specification that actually prevent the implementation. So you have to go and amend the standard because no implementation was ever possible. So there's a bunch of bodies, and they all work in different ways. You got the ISO-like bodies, like for example, when they created this networking model that was incredibly complicated, and in the end, a much slighter, simpler version called TCPIP1. In the particular case of what Microsoft is doing is they typically standardize through ECMA. And, um, and as I said, ECMA standardizes existing practice. So basically what you do is once you have a product that is functional, something that works, uh, you try to describe how it works, what, is, what are their inputs and what are the expected outputs out of this thing. And there are certain changes that can happen, and there is discussion, there is a little bit of discussion about how things can improve or how you can change it or tune it, but it's definitely not a place where a bunch of vendors get together and decide on the future. It is more about, we got this thing, let's document it, and let's make sure that we can interrupt with it, right? So that's what Microsoft has used for a couple of standards. JavaScript was also specified as part of ECMA, because the original JavaScript implementation didn't really have a spec. So somebody kind of reverse engineered JavaScript and wrapped up a specification, and that was Microsoft, and they submitted it to ECMA, and then everybody kind of jumped in and helped out, iron out all the details. Miguel, you mentioned uh, 
mobile devices, and Linux is heavily used in mobile devices, specifically the ARM processor. This is an interesting space for Moonlight. Moonlight could work on a you know an ARM processor, small mobile device, um, running an embedded Linux with uh, Moonlight. Yes, absolutely. One of, one of which is the technology that is behind all of this already works on ARM devices. Many of our developers use it, and use it on uh, Nokia 770 and the Nokia 800 portable devices. It's also being used, uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but there's this little tiny device called the Sansa Connect, which is an MP3 player from Zing, uh, and, is, and is sold by SanDisk. And this little MP3 player is an ARM device running Mono. The entire UI, the entire uh, application platform is built uh, using Mono. So Mono already runs on these tiny little devices. Our implementation of Silverlight, we're hoping that, that it will run. I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't run on, on these devices. And it would give people that have ARM devices or phones access to Silverlight content as well. In fact, we just, we just purchased a couple of open Moco cell phones, and we're waiting for them to, to arrive. And I'm going to hand out those uh, cell phones to my developers so they can uh, make sure that we can run everything perfectly on the on those cell phones. So you get to play with nice ties in your team. Yeah, well, I, I'm actually I'm actually not keeping any of them. I'm just sending it to the developers uh, because I really don't have time to to work myself on the device. But I'm sending uh, those to my JIT team and some members of the Moonlight team. So right on. So they're gonna get they're gonna get some nice toys. Uh, you mentioned JavaScript several times, and you mentioned that uh, Moonlight presents a display surface. Where does Moonlight relate to Ajax? Ajax is about adding a little bit of interactivity to your page. And typically what it does is it, it typically controls elements on the HTML DOM document, right? So it's basically, it, it updates elements in the web page and changes those. Um, the web page, though, is, is not particularly a a great platform for doing graphics, for example, or for doing animations or doing um, timed animations or video or audio. It's not great. And you can use a combination of things. People have used Flash, a little bit of Flash, a little bit of uh, uh, external plugins like Google Gears to, to improve the Ajax uh, stack a little bit. But the graphics remain uh, a painful problem for people that want to run those uh, on a browser. So Silverlight is kind of a surface that you can use. It's like it's an element that you can encroach, that you can embed in, in your web page, and uh, and you can get a pretty powerful graphics engine in there. But for those kinds of activities, Silverlight is a fine choice. And um, as you pointed out, I mean, since this is uh, scripted through JavaScript, you can actually use any of your existing libraries like Dojo or or prototype, or or you can use the Google Gears for offline operation, and still be able to use uh, a Silverlight surface for your graphics. So the idea is you basically augment an existing web application. It's not about rewriting your app; it's about augmenting or you know spicing up your app just in the same way that you would spice it up with a graphic or you would spice it up with a little bit of AJAX. So it's another technology that you can use in there. Seems like everybody's in this uh, rich internet application space, and uh, you know certainly Silverlight and Moonlight has got some attention. The world spins, I guess, around Flash. And, uh, you know, Adobe just uh, open-sourced their Flex SDK. Do you think that there's space for so many technologies? I mean, Sun just announced their JavaFX. It seems like everybody's got rich Internet applications. Well, I, I can't answer the question about who's going to win and who's not going to win. The reality is that I think my gut feeling here, and I'm going to be, this is kind of Stephen Colbert gut feeling, you know, um, my gut feeling is Microsoft has a pretty good developer story 
with .NET. So that means you can pick from a bunch of different languages, right? Static languages, and and with Silverlight, what is interesting is they introduced this uh, platform called the Dynamic Language Runtime, where you can actually, in addition to C Sharp and Visual Basic, you can use things like Iron Python or Ruby to extend your application. So you're not longer limited to JavaScript to do client-side programming. You can do it with uh, with a myriad of languages. I think in their first release, they're going to support Ruby, Python, Visual Basic, and what's the other dynamic language? Oh, JavaScript. Uh, plus, in addition, any static languages like C Sharp, but any of the other languages that Silverlight can run. So you, you think that's the, the big advantage is, is it's not just any one language. The, the developer gets a choice, and Microsoft's always had a you know, a good developer story around multiple languages. You think that's the attracting feature versus, you know, if somebody living in the flex land and it's, you know, ECMAScript, ActionScript kind of world. Yeah, I think, well, that's an element, right? You get to choose the language. But number two, you get a pretty powerful JIT engine with a pretty powerful virtual machine. You get to reuse a lot of libraries that exist today for .NET. So a lot of those libraries you can just reuse in there for doing all kinds of things. Developer tools are pretty good. I mean, they're building on top of Visual Studio. So uh, so actually creating applications and the debuggability of those things is pretty good. Uh, the integration with everything that they have is also is also superb. So I think that they they got a foothold at least with one developer community, and they, I think they're trying to bridge into a world of new developers in there. So, in my opinion, I think at least some people will adopt Silverlight. And from my standpoint as a Linux user, I just want to have access to all of the content on the internet regardless of whether it's JavaFX, whether it's Microsoft uh, Silverlight or Adobe Flash, right? So Adobe Flash, we got in the majority of Linux systems. JavaFX will run on, on all of those systems. So we don't have to worry about those two. The question is, what do we do about Silverlight, right? So we kind of uh, decided that we we're going to take matters into our own hands and implement it. And what kind of portability are developers going to get? They're working on Windows. Are their binaries going to run as is on yes, Linux? Absolutely. Yeah, that is that is a big that is a, a really important point. Mono is binary compatible with .NET and uh, what is actually interesting about Silverlight is that since Silverlight needs to run applications in a very constrained environment to prevent security problems or security attacks or you know, any of the problems that can happen when you're downloading arbitrary code from the network. It's actually a, a subset of .NET, and uh, it doesn't give you access to any of the operating system facilities, right? You can't really escape the virtual machine like you can with .NET. With .NET, there are facilities for kind of talking directly to the operating system and requesting services. With Silverlight, all of those things are banned. That actually reduces the amount of things that we have to support tremendously. And what's a developer experience like creating content for Silverlight Moonlight? For Silverlight, you have great applications on Windows. You can use a number of designers, either from Microsoft, and they have a couple of them, one built into Visual Studio, another one which is more targeted towards graphics designers as opposed to programmers, called Blend. And uh, there's a couple of other uh, tools in the market that will actually produce uh, XAML content. XAML is the file format used to describe uh, UIs. So you have your choice of either Microsoft or third-party IDEs. In the Linux case, you got Emacs or any other text editor that can produce text files. And we ourselves have been working on our own designer called the 
lunar eclipse. So it, it's a project that we started about a month ago, and it's already showing some good signs of, uh, of progress. So you can use that. In addition to that, during this uh, innovation week that we had, the Hack Week, uh, one of our developers actually wrote an SVG to XAML translator. So if you already have some SVG content that you want to reuse in XAML, you can just do that. So just uh, translate your existing SVG files into XAML and, and deploy those as, uh, as part of your application. The goal then is for developers to experience a drawing environment. They draw their applications for Moonlight, Silverlight. Yeah, a little bit like that. I mean, a very strong message, I think, has been the separation between the designer and the programmer. And they communicate basically through the XAML file. So the designer does all the UI, right? He does uh, all the all the graphics, animations, and so on. Uh, he defines, well, this is this animation. You use the following ones for doing this sort of thing, right? Like uh, fade-ins and fade-outs and presenting a product or something else. And then uh, and the developer is the one that actually hooks up those events and does all the programmer logic, right? It can be a single person, but there's a strong emphasis on uh, on kind of teamwork, having developers do one piece and having designers do the other piece. You can still do both, which is what I do, uh, right? But uh, but the idea is that you would have in, in 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 large projects you would have somebody who's doing the content and and you can actually modify the theme independently and without even having to involve the programmers in this thing. Right, so you can have the programmer do all the logic, and then a separate group basically does the styling and does the and does the presentation. There's this idea, the Google world, where applications are kind of pushed out to the internet to servers, and Microsoft really wants this badly, and they're trying to go after a similar model. And I assume Silverlight's kind of their take on this, but they're they really talk heavily about you know opening up all their services to the developer. And I guess I'm a little jaded because when Microsoft says they open it up to developers, I think Windows developers, do you think the Linux developers going to be, you know, have access to this? Because in the Google world where Google provides these nice Ajax SDKs, you know, the Linux developer can play there. Do you think what Microsoft's offering, the Linux developers going to be able to play there? What I can tell you is that Mono does offer a lot of the functionality that Windows developers use when they're creating server applications. Mono supports ASP.NET, and we're adding support right now for this thing called ASP.NET Ajax, which is their Ajax platform, and upon which a lot of the new features that you see are built. So at least along those lines, you can choose to deploy your applications on a Windows machine, or you can choose to deploy your applications on a Linux machine. Now, Silverlight, in my opinion, and Moonlight are very much like Flash. There's something that you're, you will add to your web page, and it's, it's not really bound to Google, and it's not really bound to Microsoft. You can, one of the interesting things that I like about Silverlight is that, in a way, Silverlight is a lot more webby. You know, it feels more like a web technology than Flash does. Because the way you generate content for Silverlight is basically by sending it a text file that describes the UI, right? So what it means is that you can actually generate Silverlight content with, I mean, you don't need any special tools today to generate Silverlight content. You can just use, you know, PHP or Perl or, or Python or any of those things to just generate a text document that says, hey, uh, create these elements, create these uh, things, uh, you know. The whole UI can be a printf or you can just concatenate a text file, you know. Or you can do interpolation with Ruby. You can say, hey, well, this is a template. Interpolate these values in the XAML file and we generate them dynamically. I mean, so in a way, I think that uh, Silverlight feels more like a web technology than, than Flash does, in my opinion. 
let's be honest here, you're giving advertisers a better way of making more annoying ads. Well, that's, yeah, certainly. You can, you can create a blink tag on steroids. And I think that a lot of people initially with Flash did that. I mean, Flash got a really bad reputation because it was used just for that, you know. It's like these intro pages that were incredibly horrible or these animated ads. Once you go beyond those uh, annoying things, and you can do those annoying things with plain HTML as well. Once you move beyond those things, you can see that there's a lot of very useful cases where you can actually use Flash or Silverlight, like doing uh, like doing graphs and or doing uh, you know stock renderings and browsing of information, you know, or, or smarter clients for doing map navigations and things like that, audio, video, you know. Like YouTube is completely all built in Flash, right? That was really that I think is one of the killer apps that Flash has today. The fact that you can you can go to a web page and you have a good Flash player. I mean, you have a good video player that works everywhere. You know, you talk to some of these other Linux distributions, and uh, they don't seem to have a lot of interest in Mono. Um, there's some hesitation for them to include Mono. Do you think Moonlight's going to be in the similar? situation, do you see the other Linux distributions, including Moonlight? Because it seems to me that, you know, without it, you know, kind of a broad adoption, it'll just kind of come and go. There's two pieces there. The first one is I'm, I'm only aware of one major distribution that doesn't ship Mono, and they only uh, refuse to ship it under enterprise products. Um, other than that, I don't really know of anyone really not shipping Mono. Kind of the reason you ship Mono is not because you want mono. Yeah, the reason you ship mono is because there are apps, interesting applications built with mono. And uh, we've built some of those applications like F-Spot and Banshee and Beagle and Tomboy. And uh, there's a bunch more coming. So that is certainly one of, one of the reasons why people would like to use mono and ship it. In a way, I kind of feel that um, some of the applications that we built for the desktop, everything that I mentioned, is something you can definitely live without them. I mean, it's not going to be as great as an experience of a desktop, but you can definitely live without photo management, and you can definitely use other media players. They're not a feature full, but you can definitely use other ones. And uh, text searching, well, we've lived forever without text searching, so, so you can definitely live without that. And there's efforts to kind of replace those model technologies. I think that Moonlight is in a different universe, though. And the reason it's in a different universe is merely because people are going to be interested in accessing content that is produced with Silverlight. So in the particular case of Mono, what drove adoption of Mono or what made uh, distributions package Mono were a few really interesting applications. But, you know, you could always have an alternative. In the Silverlight Moonlight case, and kind of why we got very excited about this is we believe that Silverlight will be adopted, regardless of the position of people who don't like it. And it will be adopted, and if Linux users want to get access to those technologies, or they want to get access to those websites, or, you know, do whatever activities that they do online and get access to that content, they're going to need to have a Silverlight implementation, and to have a Silverlight implementation, they're going to need Mono. So I think that those that decided not to ship Mono in the past will have to take a very serious look at their decisions when it comes to not shipping Mono with Moonlight. So in a way, it's exciting for us that Moonlight is going to become a vehicle for Mono adoption. Just because people will want to get access to websites. Great. Well, uh, Miguel, we appreciate so much your time. Thank you for joining us here today. And uh, again, that was Miguel de Casa, Vice President of Developer Platform here at Novell. (music) 
great. We want to thank Darren for helping Randy and Dave do that interview and get a chance to sit down and get the straight facts right from Miguel. And that's it for this episode of Novell Open Audio. Remember that most of our content is directed by you, our listening audience. So please send us requests and comments at novell.com slash openaudio or sending us email at openaudio at novell.com. Thanks a lot. That's it for this time. See you next time.